Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another Federal Tax Update podcast. And I'm Roger Harris. And like always, I'm joined by Annie Schwab. Annie, how are you today? I'm good. Good afternoon, everyone. So, Annie, what are we going to talk about today? Believe it or not, we are going to talk about some of the latest news. And if you've ever been on a podcast with Roger and I, you know that means we're going to touch on ERC, the Employer Retention Credit. Employee retention yes. credit. It, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to go away, so we're never going to stop talking about it. The latest is that there are currently 750,000 claims in backlog with the IRS, even though they're processing 40,000 a week, which just sounds absurd. But um, for all of those tax preparers out there and taxpayers, there's not a tracking tool that you can see, you know, what's the status of mine, where am I in line, um, when, when am I going to get my money kind of thing. Um, but they seem to be going in first in, first out for those accounting folks. You know, that's FIFO. Um, right. But now that audits have started with the ERC, they are starting to flag some claims as they process them. So we're starting to see not only the audit letters go out, but some claims that are being processed are starting to get flagged. Which, you know, when you think about it, you wonder what they're using to flag them because you really don't furnish any information other than numbers. I mean, you basically amend a 941 and you put a number on a line. So it's kind of hard to understand what they're, how they're deciding which ones to flag other than the bigger the number maybe. I don't know. But, well, yeah, they say they're flagging them. But, again, there's not much information there to to, to identify help one them versus decide who to flag. There was a rumor that they were only doing claims of over a hundred thousand, but I was on a call last week with the IRS and and that, you know, the lady flat out said that is not the case. So No. I guess it's So while some are still waiting for money, some are already getting audited. So we're we're right. kind of at the beginning and the end at the same time. Yeah, and, and I will add real quick, if you're not familiar with the ERC, if, you're, if you haven't heard Roger and I speak before, we have, we have literally talked about it nearly on every podcast, so you can certainly go back and you know, review kind of what it is and what's happening and why it's you know, such a big audit focus for the IRS. Yeah, and, and what Annie's talking about is you know, the um, Office of Professional Responsibility has come out and said, look, if you're not comfortable or knowledgeable about ERC, number one, you shouldn't be involved in it. But even if you are and you see a claim that you are presented to amend the return and you're uncomfortable with the claim, you shouldn't amend the return because they've deemed that perpetuating the claim. Now, Mm -hmm. the more we sit around and think about this, the more confused I get because (laughs) obviously if I know the claim is completely false— I know what to do. I'm not supposed to do anything. But what if I think that there's just a that the basis for the claim itself was valid, but the calculation might have been wrong. 
am I perpetuating the entire claim if I correct that or do I not correct that? And then a minute. I, so for right now, we're just in a wait and see. You mentioned you were on a call with the IRS. I'm actually going to be in a meeting uh, in a couple of days with the IRS, and we've asked for some clarification and some updates on this. That doesn't mean we'll get it, but we've asked for it. <laughs> you can so, try. So we'll see. But, you know, it's still a tough position for those of us who are trying to follow the rules, have tried to do it right, to to have maybe your best client come to you and ask for advice and help, and, and you kind of have to throw up your hands and say, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And if I have to verify the calculation on every claim before I can amend a return to make sure I'm not perpetuating a claim, that's like doing the whole work from the first, doing it over again. So I don't yep. know what that's going to cost. So it's a mess. It's but. a mess. <laughs> but I have laid my eyes on a sample audit letter. Finally, I have seen one. Um, and just so everyone knows, let's go through sort of how these, how these audit letters come. They come by mail. Um, so don't get caught in some scam or, or cybersecurity issue here, but the notices come by mail, and they ask you to confirm the appointment date that they've already set for you. So on the notice, it will t say a time um, and, and give you a phone number, and you're supposed to call and confirm that time or, I guess, reschedule. And on the top right-hand corner, just like most notices, there's um, some information, and that includes the tax period that they're auditing, the tax form that they're auditing. So in this case, for the ERCs, they're, they're auditing the payroll return, the 941 or the 941X, um, that particular form. They're not, they're not so far, they're not focusing on the S-Corp or the, you know, Schedule C that took the credit. It's more of the calculation. So my individual return or business return itself is exactly. not part of this. That's how it appears from what I've seen so far. Um, and in there, you know, it's like a three-and-a-half, four-page letter. And, and in there, basically, it's saying, you know, we're writing you because we're, we've got two things. One, we, we want to confirm that you are eligible for the claim. And then the second part is that if you are eligible for the claim, that the calculation of the credit is correct. So those are the, the two main points. And then it goes on and it tells you how to send the documents and where to send them. Um, very specific, actually. You can only respond to this notice by mail or fax. So it's not like you can go to the website and upload all this stuff. Uh, it's not like you can call somebody on the phone and just kind of talk it through. No email. Um, it's very specific that it wants the documentation um, in Word or Excel or PDF format, and you're supposed to mail it or fax it. And then, of course, you flip the page over, and there's 16, a 16 list of items. 16 <laughs> items. <laughs> yeah. And, and going back, again, we don't know why business A gets selected and business B doesn't because, again, very limited amount of detailed information is submitted with the actual claim. Yeah. Now, and Annie, I'm sure you'll touch on some of the 16. Some of the 16 are things that we should have in our file, but we haven't furnished it or had no requirement to furnish it to the IRS in terms of where we came up with the claim. So talk a little bit about some of the things that maybe aren't as obvious or are really important in that 16, because there are 16 things listed. I'm, I, yeah. I guess they all could potentially apply for all businesses, but, well, some wouldn't because they're some, larger employees. Yeah. But, but, for the, but a lot of them are going to apply to everybody. 
And, you know, the obvious one is a copy of the, you know, the quarterly um, 941s for the, for the period that you're claiming the credit. Supporting documentation and worksheets that come along with that. I mean, that's kind of obvious. But there's, you know, they want a list of employees and the wages that were paid to that employee and whether or not that employee was a related party to another individual. You know, there's some special rules for related party. and For 50% owners, <clears throat> right. For 50% owners. So, you know, that might be something that you have, you know, just right here in your file if you were the one who calculated the claim. But if a client of yours went somewhere else and then came back to you, you probably don't have that detail. Maybe the client does. No. Let's hope the client would has you? a copy. Right. Yeah, right. unless the client has it. Right. Um, and clearly they're going to ask, you know, documentation for when the business was eligible, for what period of time, what dates, was it fully or partial suspension, you know, all that kind of government order kind of detail stuff the best place to go for that, for information, is probably on the state website. Um, we've seen a lot of states posting stuff out there um, with regards to, you know, for this period of time, it's partial, or this is fully, or, you know. Obviously, you'll need to show the significant decline in gross receipts from quarter to quarter, and a lot of that gets iffy if you're a new business or, if, you know different ways of calculating and different methods. So again, if you did the claim yourself, that should probably be you know, in the file. If not, you're probably gonna have to go digging with the client to get some, some documentation. Where it could get sticky is this whole supply chain interruption. Yep. What documentation do they want and what could you have, particularly where some of these mills have been overly aggressive in trying mm -hmm. to fall into that qualification. I mean, how do I prove, I mean, do I get a letter from the vendor? Do I get them to call the vendor on the phone? <laughs> I mean, how do I prove I couldn't get that product anywhere else, but this one vendor and, you know, that they were under a government mandate. So if, if your basis for your claim was supply chain interruption, I, be hard. I don't know what you are supposed to have or what they'll accept, but it's mm -hmm. again the, the the main one. If you've got a gross receipts decline, that's easy. That, you should be able to easier. Prove that. <laughs> yeah, that, at least that's numeric. It's, it's a You're calculation. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, and it goes on. If you got the PPP loan, also that's going to add another little piece to it. You know, you can't double dip on the wages. So if you assigned wages to the PPP, you can't also assign those same wages to ERC. So they're going to want some sort of you know, breakout of what went where. They're they're probably going to even ask for that PPP letter of um, forgiveness or you know something from the right. bank when you got it, and you, you may not have that. The client probably doesn't even know where that is. Right, but so, they're going to need it. But they're going to the, the need it. The one that's going to be, for people who tried to shortcut this and just, depending on what year they were doing, just said, well, I need $5,000 for Annie. I need $5,000 for Roger. I need $5,000 for so-and-so. And we just made a list. They're going to expect a little bit more. They're going to mm -hmm. expect, particularly if they got a PPP loan, to say, okay, what are the wages within the qualifying period? How many of those wages did you allocate for PPP loan forgiveness, and how many of those are still left for ERC? And we didn't have to furnish that when we did it, but the expectation is we have it. So mm -hmm. if you tried to shortcut this one, and again, I'll talk more to the mills that just said whatever the wage amount is, you're eligible for that yeah, amount. Yeah, well. You're not going to get by with something <clears throat> that simple. So 
this may be one of the first things you again particularly if you didn't do the claim mm -hmm. this might be the first thing that you asked for because i my sense is if you can't produce that the rest of it's not going to matter because they're going to throw it all out because you don't you can't even prove any of the wages are qualifying yeah and like I said, I, I got my eyes on a copy of it, but I haven't, you know, had a client go through it. I haven't, you know, seen what the IRS agent is asking, how picky they are. You know, does it... Well, how well-trained are they on all uh, uh, Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's this is true. new for them, too. This is not like there was a 20-year veteran of the ERC. So right. we're, we're also dealing with, with potential agents who are maybe new hires or reassigned. And I, and I would expect them... the in the beginning to be their more qualified people. But mm -hmm. over time, you know, it's conceivable that we're dealing with a, an, I don't want to say untrained, but inexperienced mm -hmm. auditor, yep. which can always frustrate us in any kind of audit. Well, and the rules changed so many times, somewhat retroactive, you know, different periods of time had different stipulations. I mean, it, it's going to be very time consuming for someone to get all of the records to respond so we'll we'll have to see, you know, how aggressive they are, you know. I don't know, but so to, <laughs> to, to summarize ERC for the thirtieth time, yes, uh, you can still apply for the money. Yep, they're still processing claims. They're still behind in processing claims. Mm -hmm. There's still the advertisements on all the radios and televisions, yep. and you get phone calls, you get texts, you get all that. Mm -hmm. But they are now starting to audit. They so, are auditing. And they're so, auditing what we know so far is just the payroll, payroll returns. Right. Now, it's like anything. I mean, they may stumble into something that says, well, wait a minute, I need to look deeper. And the reality is the IRS can audit anything they want to. We can make them jump through some hoops, perhaps, to slow the process down. But if they see something that is a great concern, they can they can go into it. So, so again, this probably we'll talk about again on a future podcast. So this won't be the last one, but... Again, if you still got clients that are eligible, you can still get them some money mm -hmm. while at the same time defending some that you've already seen with the money. And we still don't know what we can do in terms of one of the big things is if somebody wakes up in the middle of the night, one of your clients and says, you know what, I really probably didn't deserve this money. <laughs> I want to give it back. They still haven't told us how to do that. Now, we can assume you just reamend the 941s and send it back. But what if you just want to send part of it back? Because you did a determination that the calculation was wrong. Well, do I have to tell them? I didn't have to tell them why I came up with the first number. Do I have to tell them? So there's a lot of yep. guidance that's still needed. And hopefully that'll be coming soon. And if it does, then we'll talk about ERC again on a future <laughs> podcast. And we'll try to tell you. What I do what, know for sure is the IRS will take your money back. <laughs> yeah, they'll take uh, it and then not worry about where it came from. But, yeah, exactly. Which is really shocking as to why they said not to... Amend the returns, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. And not surprisingly, they introduced, or they didn't introduce, they announced their top dirty dozen schemes. Mm -hmm. And what's mm -hmm. number one? ERC. ERC. This came out April 5th. It's the, they do it annually, and it's the list of tax schemes for 2023. ERC is number one. So, and there's, you know, I can, I have the list right here, so I could tell you a few others, but, you know, you see all these phishing scams, a um, lot posing as legitimate organizations. The IRS is one of them. Um, we've seen that before for sure, especially ones that are, you know, oh, I can help you set up an IRS online account at irs.gov. And then the next thing you know, they're 
logging in as you and stealing data. So you got to be careful about that. I would say, let's see, fake charities have been on there probably numerous times as well. Bogus tax avoidance strategies type thing. Um, social media, yeah, a lot of that. Social, social yeah, media, social media is, is interesting because anybody yes. can post. Yep. What you might think is good tax advice or a good planning mm-hmm. opportunity that's completely bogus. Yep. But it looks and nice rely on, on social media. Mm-hmm. That's actually probably growing. That was um, number seven, spreading poor tax advice and misleading taxpayers into filing inaccurate tax returns. I bet that one moves up the chain <laughs> in the next couple of years. Um, but there's, and I we, mean. Okay. We've got the one that used to be maybe the older version of the ERC, the offer and compromise mills where people mm-hmm. came in promising you, you know. Cents on the dollar. Ten cents a do- dollar or whatever. That probably was number one for a while. It's mm-hmm. dropped down to number nine. So I imagine the ERC will stay on there for a while. It'll drop off number one. But again, the offer and compromise has a lot of the same characteristics yep. in terms of the problems is you got outside mills coming in, preying off of a unknowledgeable, if that's the right word, taxpayer mm-hmm. and being promised something of huge value. Though, you can't get the money from the mills like you can the ERC, but you can get ripped off a lot of fees to find out you're not eligible or, you know, right. it's not everything you thought about, but it's still there. Yep. Very scary. Very scary. And and we see it all the time. We get emails from our office owners saying, is this real? Is this, is this scam? What do you think? Yeah. Have you seen this? I think it's a scam. Is anybody when else? When you hand it? out money <laughs> the way the government does through the tax system, there are people out there trying to figure out how to take advantage of it because they understand, even with the new money, and we'll talk about that, the IRS can't audit everybody. In fact, they can't audit anywhere near the majority of all the people that need to be. So if you're a gambler, there's you don't get many better odds Mm -hmm. anywhere than you do gambling that the IRS won't catch you. Now, that again... That's not to advocate for doing that. That's not to say that's okay. There's nothing about that that you're supposed to to take advantage of. But if you're inclined to want to gamble to get some money, I'd say you got a better shot with the IRS than you do in a casino in Las Vegas. That's pretty sad, but true. It yeah. is, you know. So they're also starting to do collection again, right? Yep. I was just about to say, not only are ERC notices and audits going out, but you know, it is a, a signal that the IRS believes operations are returning to normal, but they had paused collection notices, and now they, they are back. And back by, you know, five to eight million notices are planning to be sent to taxpayers. I mean, the bottom line is, if your client gets a notice, you shouldn't panic. You know, the notice generally says how to respond, if you agree, do this, if you disagree, do that. Um, you know, it is time consuming to go back, especially since some of these notices could be, you know, very delayed because they were closed, um, I think, three years. I think they were suspended. Is this it? Three years yeah. or two and a half years or something? Well, it was in the, the pandemic started in March of 20. Mm-hmm. So the, the notices were suspended not too long after that. Yeah. Now, what we don't know, because there's still <laughs> backlog in, in dealing with correspondence, is in that time, a lot of responses to notices were sitting at the IRS mm-hmm. that would have explained it or questioned it or furnished more documentation during this 
delay in the notices, where are they in processing that correspondence that was sent? Right. And are these notices just going to go back as if nothing was ever sent? Will they reflect what was sent? Do you know if they've opened it? I mean, so there's still the possibility that you might get a notice that appears to have ignored what you sent. And and that is likely that it, not that they ignored it, but they, they haven't, just gotten haven't gotten to gotten it, it yet. <clears throat> right. So, I mean, we, we don't know the status of all the work that was done. And so where will these notices pick back up? Will they mm-hmm. go back as if nothing happened and we're just turning the clock back? Or have they processed some of those? The sad thing is for us is they're all going to come out at the same time. Yep. Well, with the same time, meaning within about a 30-day period. So you yep, went from end not of dealing May, at all with June. notices now to maybe overwhelmed with them. Right, and then you have to address them. You have to go back and see what was sent, what wasn't said. Is it a timing difference? Do you have the documentation for it? Now, I will say I believe we are up to nine different notices now that the IRS will accept your response via the portal, the now. IRS portal. I think they're nine. It's either seven or nine. I can't remember. But right. um, so it, perhaps some of these can be handled quickly using that feature. I, I don't know, you know, how they said CP14 notice, which is a very common notice. I mean, that's just a collection right. notice. So, And that would be the way I would suggest you reply. You know, mm-hmm. don't send it back in by mail. No. If, if it appears they haven't opened the last time you mailed them something, you probably don't want to mail them something again. Go back mm-hmm. and take advantage, assuming that it's the notice that you can do this. But I wouldn't I wouldn't accept the notices at face value if you think you've sent some correspondence mm-hmm. in. Hopefully you've kept copies of it and you can right. can now submit it, you know, the new way and and maybe get quicker resolution of it. But don't be shocked if a client calls you all in panic, freaking out. Well, a lot of them call you because, again, they all went out, are going out within a, in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. And, again, that's not good for us, but it's probably not good for the service because despite getting this money, it's not like they went out and hired and trained all these people to answer the phone or to deal with these notices at the same time. So the, the, the ability for them to respond, again, assuming all these went out in a relatively short period of time and all the practitioners are going to respond in that same short period of time, you know, you're going to be back on Backlog. hold again. Yeah. So hopefully you can respond, you know, through their new system where you don't have to talk to. But some of these things you just have to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. which yes. gets into processing power of attorneys quickly and all those other things. But it's going to... It's going to create some potential hardships for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's better they did it in May and June than if they did it in oh, October. Prob- yeah, when probably we were trying so. to catch up for uh, our extensions, but it may make for an interesting summer. Mm-hmm. There's definitely work to be had for tax preparers during the summer. So. And I'm going <clears> to <throat> take a gamble here, knowing clients like I do. They're not going to remember that this is a three-year-old issue. They're going to go, why am I getting this? What is this? So there's going to have, you're going to have to re-educate your taxpayer to go, remember, this was something we were dealing with three years ago that got put on hold because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's not a new issue. It's not something you did in the last 60, 90 days or something that just, this goes back three years. Well, 
most of our memories aren't as good as they were three years ago. We might have remembered in real time what the issue was and how to yeah. respond and what our strategy was. And now we've got to go back and kind of get ourselves back in play again. Yeah. And are they going to waive penalties and interest? Or are you, you know, all of that? I think penalties, I think they put the penalties on hold for this three-year period. You know, they're not going to, you know, you're not going to get nailed at a half a percent a month when, when, they when they're not processing. It. But interest, right. I, you know, I'm not sure they statutorily can waive the interest because assuming you owe the money, you did have the use of the money for money three about, years. Right. Now, will they excuse some? I haven't seen anything where they've made a blanket statement mm -hmm. on that. But everything is still coming out for something new given the pandemic. I mean, we just don't have anything like to this to look to. back on. Right. We have a new commissioner. We have a different commissioner now than paused them. So the thinking of the commissioner three years ago versus the thinking of the commissioner today mm -hmm. in terms of where does, where should things do? We, we have a different treasury department today than we had three years ago. So we have different yep. people in, in important positions making decisions. I think they want to be fair and reasonable, but yeah. there's also some statutory restrictions that they have to follow. And I think that's why we can see some, some potential breaks on penalties, but I don't know that the government has to lose the interest. Just if, because. If the money was owed and they, the, the money was... Fortunately, interest rates during these three years weren't too high, but who knows? It's interesting times. Interesting times. <laughs> you you want to talk about something else? <laughs> for many, many years. The, the health part of the pandemic hopefully is behind us, but the yes. remnants of the impact it's had on us are going to be around for a while, it certainly looks like. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Paget. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Paget that exist to support Paget firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast now, let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie, for the federal tax updates. And just when you think things are like calming down, you know, June 3rd, you know, just a few weeks ago, June 3rd, here we are signing a bill that suspends the government's trillion debt ceiling, the 30 trillion debt ceiling with, with two days to spare. <clears throat> yeah, we had at least two extra days. Two, two, two days to spare. And, and, and then you see in those provisions, <clears throat> after the IRS had been given the $80 billion, they start pulling some of that back. And it's like, okay, now what? What is, it, what is that going to mean? You know, we've got a billion coming back this year, and I think $10 billion over the next two years or something like that. And there were COVID relief funds that were unused, and now they're, they're pulling those. Uh, you know, now, what does that even mean? I have what no are, idea. What are it's unused, a clawback. Is there a checking account somewhere with a bunch of COVID money sitting in it, and now they're just going to give it back? I mean, I don't even know what that means. I know, and all, and all the mediates claw back or pairs back the money, and it's like, was it already earmarked for something? Was it just sitting there? Like, what, where was it all? Um, yeah, I don't but, think our government kind of works like you and I. If we got money for something and we were just sitting on it, and, you know, like we, we borrowed money to redo our house, but we haven't started yet. We at least still have the money. This is all 
paper stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they've yeah, we're going to allocate money, but we haven't given it to you yet. So there's not really real money sitting there, but we clawed back. Now, the yeah. the, the real thing, and, and everybody I'm sure remembers because it was the news every day, the government's going to shut down. Here's how all the horrible things are going to happen because mm-hmm. we have to extend the debt limit or they can't pay the money. And so we got into a political negotiation over extending the debt ceiling versus cutting back spending and that's where the IRS's 80 billion got cut back. Yeah. Now, they still have about a I believe they at the end of this I think they lost about what 20 billion of it, about let's a see, fourth. They of lost it. yeah, so pairs back, let's see. 20 billion each I sorry, 10 billion each year for 2024 and 2025. So that's <coughs> 20 right there. So um, 80s turned into I think a little under 60. 60, now. yep. So if you'd have given them 60 to begin with, people, the IRS would have been happy, but now they thought they had 80, now they got a little under 60. They have said it's not going to change any of their short-term plans, hmm. which we don't even know completely what those are, but they're not changing. And remember, this money was going to enforcement, technology, customer service, Obviously, new hires are part of that. Training. So where will this take back of $20 billion, billion. Trillion? There's too many zeros in these. There was trillions in the debt limit and billions, billions. in the IRS. So $20 yeah. billion dollars is pulled back. And so where will the IRS? They've said in the short term they're not changing their short-term plans. But and ERC is part of that short-term plan, so don't think this is going to help you out for those ERC bonds. Yeah, No, don't count on this being a, a savior that all of a sudden they're not going to do those out. things. But will they get to opening, you know, will they get caught up? You mentioned earlier, what, 750000 of still unopened and 40000 mm-hmm. a week coming in? Yep. You know, will this slow down their ability to catch up their response to these notices? We don't know that yet. Again, the service has indicated that this is going to be more in the out years, even mm-hmm. though it came out of this year in terms of their strategy. But they did lose about 20% or, yeah, 20 25% of the original allocation. What it also means is, since this was a 10-year allocation to begin with, that this could happen again. Yep. I mean, politicians can give and they can take away. So... You know, the IRS is, is hard-pressed to go out there and, and make concrete plans for this money because if the House and the Senate were to both go Republican with a Republican president, you because they wanted it all taken back. Mm-hmm. Republicans wanted every dime of it taken back, which is silly because none of us in our business can, can say that the IRS doesn't need better technology and it doesn't. It definitely needs better customer support. So that takes resources. Right. But politics are, well, we all know, they can cause <laughs> crazy things. So yep. we'll see. There's some other things besides calling back money we don't know where it came from and the IRS's money. Was there anything else that they did to There was a freeze on government spending, on? so we'll, we'll yes. see that. For and now. then there's the, the student loan interest. So the student loans had also been placed on hold. And I don't know, extended so many times, I don't even remember. But as of September 1st, I believe, as of September 1st, they're going to start, um, student loan interest will resume, and payments are going to start being due in October. So if you have a, you know, if you have clients with student loan debt, 
it is coming, the, the, the halt on making payments is coming to an end, and um, the students are going to have to start you know, paying that And President now. Biden is still trying to have some of yep. those loans forgiven. Yep. And it looks like the Supreme Court's going to ultimately make that call, whether he had the authority to unilaterally remove certain, I think it was 10000 and 20000 for a Pell Grant or something, something like, like that. that. But it was an executive order, and there's a constitutional issue as to whether or not the president can do that without Congress. And there's a strong belief that in this session of the Supreme Court, they'll make a ruling. And, and most people are assuming because of the makeup of the court that they'll rule against the president. And so they'll have to start paying it back and they'll still owe what they owe. And we'll be back to where we were. But we don't know yet. Right. You know, but that's that's out there. So. We'll keep politics an eye on that one as in well. In the tax system, who would have ever thought? Speaking of politics, you had an interesting trip to DC last week, or was it I the did. week before? I can't um, remember now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to DC and and being in the middle of of the system. Sometimes you go believing you'll learn one thing, and you come back with something completely different. But I was invited to uh, the Senate Small Business Committee and the Senate Finance Committee held a joint. I'll call it a hearing. I think they called it a roundtable because hearing, again, has a certain connotation about both the complexity in the tax code as it relates to small business, as well as what type of literacy exists in small business with regard to the tax code and how much should they have? How much are think groups like the IRS and the SBA, how are they doing in terms of helping educate small businesses and the small business care. So I was invited to testify on behalf of the practitioner community, the tax professional community. And in addition, were four small business owners from everywhere from Oregon to Maryland. One was from Idaho and the final one was from Indiana. And they each came in with their own tales, if you will, of being a small business owner and trying to comply with the tax code. Interestingly, the first witness talked about the ERC. They're still waiting for their money, you know, so they were late to the game. All of them talked about different parts of the tax code. It's interesting when you hear a business owner in one kind of business, the important part of their tax mm -hmm. code to them may be completely different to somebody else. But what was really interesting was listening to, because you have Republicans and Democrats, senators, and you can begin to see, I think we did a podcast on the Tax Cut and Jobs Act exp expiration in a yep, few years. Yep, we did. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so that crept into, it had nothing to do with the purpose of this hearing, but it crept into it in terms of beginning to see where the battle lines are going to be drawn when it comes to what the Republicans are looking to do, what the Democrats are looking to do, what these witnesses said was important to them. The one, and I think we're, we're going to actually spend a podcast on this in the future, one of the witnesses was particularly focused on the 199A deduction, the qualified business deduction that came mm -hmm. from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that 20% that was there to kind of equate the reduction in the corporate tax rates to the individual tax rates and 
she went through all of the things that she would no longer be able to do in her business in terms of hiring, retirement contributions, paid time off, all the things that you know politicians want you to do if that deduction went away. Which it's scheduled to go away. It, and it will, it will go away expire. on its own. Yeah, unless, it'll expire. Yeah, if they don't do something about it. Well, then once she speaks, then the two senators on each side of the aisle began to view 199 from their perspective. And again, we'll focus on it, but you begin to see how sets of numbers, I mean, on our table when we got there was a book that listed a lot of the tax provisions and how much they were worth and what income distribution benefited the most from it. And the numbers weren't in dispute, but how people viewed the numbers fell along party lines. So Mm -hmm. just for an example, 199A to the Democrats favor the rich. The, the more you make in business, the more you benefit. Well, of course, because 20% a of a million is more, <laughs> right. more than 20% of a thousand. To the Republicans, it was a critical part of it. So you can begin to see the battle lines drawn. But it's interesting. Uh, so the hearing really didn't spend a lot of time talking about what we were invited to talk about. It was more of a learning experience about where the battle lines are going to be drawn as these Tax Cuts and Jobs Act things come up the value of certain deductions to different people in different industries. So we thought, and we're not going to get into it anymore, this is kind of teeing up a future podcast with you, is that we're going to take this book and we're going to go through and kind of revisit that whole tax tax cuts and jobs exploration, talk a little bit about where the money is and, you know, what we can expect to hear when it's time to start debating that, which will be right after the presidential election. And so it it may be very well something they talk about in the election, and we need to pay attention to it. Well, there are so many provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I mean, some (laughs) that you sort of just got used to as, you know, that's what it's always been, that's what it's always going to be, and that's not the case. I mean, they're set to expire, so unless something happens, we're going back to the way it was. (laughs) You know, the, the interesting thing is I was surprised. Again, there were four small business owners there that, they all complained about a change in the research and development deduction mm-hmm. that went from fully deductible to amortized over five years. So people were able, you spend 100000 in R&D, you used to write off the entire 100 Now you can only write off, let's say, 20 though it's amortization, so it's not necessarily an even one-fifth. Right. And it really bothered a lot of these people. Because, as, as I actually had mentioned in our testimony, that what small business likes is simplicity and consistency. And when you venture away from their checkbook, they get confused and don't like it. So mm-hmm. when they spend 100000 and you have to explain to them, well, I know you spent 100 but you can only deduct 20 this year. So that 80 that you spent, you have to wait to deduct so your taxes are going up. They don't like that. And it became a huge, huge discussion point. And surprisingly, it is an area where both Republicans and Democrats agree. Oh, shocking. You are the guys that changed it. So (laughs) now you're both backing away saying, well, we shouldn't have. But the question then becomes, and this is where you sit there and listen, the Democrats want to change it. 
the Republicans want to change it. The Republicans want to change it without anything else. The Democrats want to change it in exchange for something. Hmm. So what's the in, How's in it exchange gonna? for something? So interesting system, and we'll have to go through that. So we'll do that on a future podcast. We'll talk about the numbers. We'll talk about the deductions. We'll try to put the politics around it so that you can get a sense. Because unfortunately, tax policy has to consider the political likelihood that it can pass in our divided government right now. And as clients are making plans or decisions or looking into the future, as much as I would like to think we should just be able to consider the tax code, we have to consider the politics. Definitely and plays a role. History. Yeah. So it was an interesting, interesting hearing. Uh, you, you leave impressed with certain senators more than others. Some came in just to be politicians. Some came in wanting to really know how to make it better for small. I think there is a genuine belief that the small businesses in this country need to be helped and they need to have tax laws that incentivize them to hire and to grow and to do that. They just have completely different ideas as to how to do it. Well, let's hope they can come to some agreement instead of just arguing it all away. Yeah. So... All right. So that was my experience. I'm going back to D.C. this week, but it'll be with the IRS. So hopefully we'll get some answers to the previous questions. We'll, we'll never get answers to the political questions no. uh, until the... But some, but some answers on ERC vote. would be welcomed. Yeah. All right. All right. Before we wrap up, we always try to do a few little reminders. Um, and the big one I have for today is the e-file mandate. We've mentioned this before, but as many of you um, know... At the beginning of the year, we will have an e-file threshold of instead of 250 returns, it's all the way down to 10. So if you, electro- you, you have to electronically file if you, you use, if you prepare 10 or more returns. And that's aggregate across all the information returns. So that's like 1099s, 1098s, W-2s, et cetera. When it's not each category at 10, when, the, when you get 10, you need to e-file. So that's something that you need to start thinking about in your process, talking to your clients about that. And one, one thing to be particularly careful of, I know a lot of you probably don't do payroll. You probably have clients using ADP or mm-hmm. paychecks or one of those payroll companies, and maybe you do some 1099s for them. If they're using ADP or paychecks or any of the big payroll providers, those W-2s are being filed electronically. So that automatically means you have to file the 1099s electronically. So even though you may only do four 1099s and you think, well, I'm under 10, remember that if ADP is filing W-2s electronically, you're going to have to file those 1099s electronically as well because the penalty is $60 per statement Her, if you don't right meet the starting mandate. at the 11th form but right. yeah but yeah you're right roger it's all based on that ein so if you file some and somebody else files some and then a third person files some it doesn't really matter if it was you know eight eight and eight you're still over and it needs to all be done electronically and you really need to look at your technology to see how you mm-hmm. can do that the irs has What's it called? Iris? Iris. That used to replace fire or something like that? So. Well, fire's used for tax preparers to do it in bulk, and then Iris is used for business owners. Or tax um, preparers, if they or want ta- to I it. guess, or tax preparers. But both of them require you to get a new TCC, 
which means you got to have an IDME account. So I mean, it's just step after step to get yourself in line. So, you know, if that if you're if you're in the business of preparing payroll returns, definitely keep an eye out for the new mandate changes, the new free systems through the IRS. You know, consider third-party payroll providers that you know ADP, Track 1099, something like that, just to simplify it. Yeah, you need to start looking at it now because mm-hmm. you know we're going to get caught back up in our. CPE season and then our extension season <clears throat> and before you know it you're going to be sitting around close to the end of the year and you need to make plans because 10 it, it look it's almost better now just to do them all electronically yep, that's don't, what I was don't just try about to carve to out oh I got this little small client over here that's got three employees and one 1099 so I can still do it on paper just change your systems to go ahead and do them all electronically mm-hmm. It'll be a whole lot better for you in the long run, and and just don't worry about it. You know, you mentioned Track 1099. That's a great I love piece Track of technology out there. Mm-hmm. If, if you haven't looked at it, you ought to go take a look at it. And, and there's others, but that's of just course. one that we at Pageant have have really endorsed, and our people just love it. And it yeah. it integrates with different other softwares oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. to it's import affordable. data and to do things. But <clears throat> it's you need to go ahead and make, you know, I was guilty like a lot of people when electronic filing first came in, even for income tax returns. Everybody, ah, you know, my clients don't want it. They don't like this. We'd never go back to no. if, paper filing. And this is returns. the same. Just don't fight it. Just come on. Yeah. Let's just, if you're still using paper to pay or file, 1099s, W-2s, just get over it, just like you did with tax <laughs> returns. Move on. Let's let's do it because yeah. 60 bucks starting in January. That's right. Perform penalty. Perform. So. And there is an extension. There is. It's an automatic 30-day extension. Ooh, you're going to pick my brain. It's like uh, 8909 maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. What there, anyway, number. there is an automatic 30-day extension. So that, that buys you a little bit of time, but not enough time to get all that TCC updated and IDME account and all of that to get in there to do it. So don't, don't rely on that 30 days. 30 days goes fast when you're trying to get, you know, accounts set up on the IRS website and waiting for confirmation emails. And com- they combine the old TCC with the new TCC and... And you mentioned ID me. If you haven't done that yet, just go do it. Do it, because yeah. It's everything that you're going to log into at the federal government is going to require you to have ID me. If you have Social Security right now, you're doing it. All these taxpayer accounts, your trans transcripts, transcripts. If you haven't done it yet, because if you haven't been into your uh, e services account recently. You, you may already be locked out, and you're going to have to start over with the ID me because I think the deadline was sometime in May. It was, it was May 31st. Yeah, so so that's another thing. If you haven't set up ID me, it it's not hard. It can be tricky. Like if you don't have a cell phone in your name, you might have a problem. If you know mm-hmm. they're going to ask you questions like which of these loans have you ever had? I mean, they're, they're trying to make sure you. You who you say you are. Yeah. So, and you don't want to again be caught at the last minute at the end of the year trying to do something, and between ID me 
and all these other things that you're scrambling. So jumping through, take hoops advantage to get it. of now and go ahead and get this stuff done. It's just just stop fighting it. They're they're really focused on their online accounts. They're focusing now on business accounts. They're mm-hmm. going to focus on tax pro accounts so that yep. we can log in and get access to client information. You're going to have to have ID me to take advantage of that. And, and already, the online accounts have some valuable information. Right. In there. Oh, absolutely. Like I, we were just saying about responding to notices. I mean, if you can do it like that online, why get in line under a stack of papers? Just, you know. And write letters and send it in. So yep. go ahead, deal with the e-file mandate. If you haven't dealt with ID me, go deal with that. And you'll you'll be thanking us later for having <laughs> to go ahead and done this because exactly. you're not going to beat it. All right, Roger. Well, we've come to the end of another podcast, um, and we will be talking about kinds of things that happen in the middle of the year that offer opportunities for services, um, as well as some really good reminders so that you don't miss deadlines. So that's kind of where we're headed next. So we got a couple of more, like I said, we're going to do that one. We'll do the one we talked about earlier on, uh-huh. you know, taking this, this this government information and trying to make it relevant to you. And if you have any ideas of mm-hmm. what you would like us to talk about on these podcasts, please, please let us know. Tell your friends about this podcast if you like it. We're we're pleased with the feedback we've gotten yeah. so far, but we mm-hmm. want to continue to make it relevant and meaningful to you. So. Send us your ideas. Send us your suggestions. Even send us your criticisms. We get a few of those. We're tough. We can handle it. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Annie. Thanks for listening. And we will be back soon with another Federal Tax Update podcast. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA, Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.